I'm Nick Stepro, and this is The Schema. In this episode, we'll explore how physician engagement, emerging payment models, and real-time data insights will evolve healthcare outcomes over the next decade and beyond. Today, I'm talking to Sean Duberback, New York Times best-selling author of Digital Destiny. Hey, Sean, welcome to Chicago. Thank you so much. It's great to be here in Chicago. It's great to be with Arcadia. Yeah, I wanna, uh, why don't we give you a second to just uh, talk, to our, talk to our viewers, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in digitization and datatization. Sure, I'm Sean Dubervac. I'm an author of a New York Times bestseller, and I uh, am a trendcaster. I look a lot at the future, what's coming, both from a technology side, but also the implication that that has for culture and for industries. So looking at how industries are changing as a result of the technology that is increasingly at all of our disposal. It sounds like a fun job. It is an awesome job. Let's talk about those trends. Uh, scope out, we'll get into healthcare in a little bit, but what are you seeing across the industry, across industries, I should say, uh, that excites you over the next 10 years? Yeah, I see these broad macro forces that are impacting every industry. They're doing it at a different rate, and so sometimes we might sit in one industry and look out and say, oh, look, this is really impacting that industry, but not our industry. But I would argue some of these trends are universal and that they're gonna impact all industries eventually. The, the first big trend was digitization. And if you step back to 2000, we were living in a very analog world. We were using analog products. We had uh, you know phones that were tethered to walls. <laughs> Most of us didn't have broadband connection. Only about 3% of households had broadband connections. Only 40% of households in 2000 even had home computers. Mm. So we were living a, a very analog world where we met in person and we did things in physical space. Then over time, we started to digitize devices. And slowly but surely following that, we started to digitize services. It took about 20 years to get to where we are today. I would argue the next big transformation is now upon us as we move from digitization to datafication. That's taking all of the information that's now being captured by all these digital devices and redeploying it into the services and the experiences that we have. And it's empowering an entirely new suite of services. At the same time, it's transforming all of these industries that have existed for decades that were largely performing the same services they've always been performing. You could argue that healthcare has modernized somewhat, but a lot of the services still look like they did, say, 50, 60, 70 years ago. Sure. Even as we moved from an analog world to a digital world, they pretty much kept the same type of services. They performed the same type of things. Interactions looked very similar. I would argue that over the next 20 years, as again, as we move from digitization to datafication, that the services that are being offered are gonna fundamentally change. That the organizations, the structure of these organizations are gonna fundamentally change. And that's gonna require rethinking everything that we do. Yeah. And why, why you mentioned that healthcare might be earlier stage than, than some other industries. What's your opinion on why, why that might be the case? I think there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, certainly the regulation that exists in this industry imposes certain constraints. If you look at other industries, most notably, you look at technology, it didn't have the same type of regulations. So there was a lot of experimentation that was taking place. And from that experimentation, people would say, oh, I really like this service. I really like this opportunity. So there was a, a greater opportunity to expand outside of the lines, if you will. Uh, healthcare 
is quite regulated. You have lots of different levels of regulation. And so the ability to experiment was somewhat constrained. One of the positive outcomes of the COVID pandemic was that we saw some of the rules shift. Primarily, we saw the ability to pay for telemedicine visits shift and change. And, and right off the bat, we moved from 1% to 2% of visits being telemedicine visits to, in the depth of the pandemic, 100% being telemedicine visits. Sure, yeah. uh, but even today, we're at 25 30% of visits being telemedicine. And so the rules start to change, and that enables experimentation, that enables exploration, and so that empowers innovation. And I think that's what's going to come. As they start to examine some of those rules, I think you're going to see the officials and, and organizations say, hey, we're working in a new paradigm. We've got new tools available to us. We've got consumers that have different tastes and preferences than they had 50, 60, 70 years ago. Why don't we offer something different? So I, I, appreciate, that. I appreciate that answer and um, the concept of regulation in some ways being a boat anchor um, uh, against, against innovation. Um, but if we look at some of these other industries, consumer industries, um, the mantra of uh, you know move fast, break things, uh, the concept of disruption, it sounded great. Uh, and we've gone through that process. And I think we're all looking back on it now with a little bit of a hangover, wondering if that approach was really for the best. And if you look at things like social media, uh, if you look at large retail, some of the progress uh, almost looks like a regression in, in many ways. And I, and I wonder with healthcare specifically, an industry that is predicated on trust. Um, and I saw you earlier talking with uh, a couple of physicians on the concept of trust building between the patient and the provider. Isn't some of this regulation for the best? Certainly we should have rules, parameters that help guide some of those interactions. And you are seeing regulators look at the tech industry and say, hey, maybe we should change these rules. I would argue innovation is iterative in nature. And so we move through a process. I would argue that we're not in an, a final state in any of these industries. Uh, email is a great example to me. We introduced email to the world. It allowed us to communicate quickly, electronically. It also introduced spam. So we have this negative externality as a result of this innovation. So what happens? We start to iterate. We introduce spam filters. Early on, the spam filters were horrible, right? We used to have to go through those spam filter boxes. There were emails from our mom or emails from work that were captured in those spam filters. But over time, the technology improved significantly to the point where we are today, where rarely do we go to our spam uh, boxes to, to find an email because the spam filters have gotten so good. So the innovation is iterative. I think the same thing will play out in every industry, certainly in healthcare. There'll be some experimentation, some exploration. We'll start to change things. Maybe we move things back for a period before we go in a different direction. But over time, I think we do end up in a better state, both for the customers, the patients, but also for the providers. I think there's a, a great opportunity. And we're gonna use data in this process because data is gonna help inform the direction that we should go. And it's gonna help us inform the type of procedures and practices that we should implement. Sure, let's dig in on the spam filter thing for a second. Cause I think it's a great example. Um, but, but I also, um, I wonder if it trivializes the challenge that, that we're going to have, right? Like, can the healthcare industry really manage five to 10 years of loss of trust? I'm looking around and we've got tens of millions 
of Americans that refuse to get vaccinated because they've completely lost trust in the healthcare institution. And so I look at um, the way our relationship is with social media, as an example, uh, and some of the damage that that has done. I just wonder if you can expand on this a little bit, because messing up in this particular industry is, is a much more profound problem than just having some unwanted emails. And I think the iteration can be slow. I think it will be slow by nature, especially in healthcare, where you have a, a large infrastructure already in place. So every industry has had these physical assets that they've had to think through. What do we do with these? How do we redeploy them as services change? Uh, healthcare also fits in, in that box where they have large physical presence that they'll need to think through. So I think, it, and different parts can accelerate at different rates. Uh, and I think that's also something to take into account. We don't need to move the entire industry at light speed in order to advance the industry. Pick a piece, work through that, and then move forward. Already we've seen tremendous innovation in healthcare, moving to electronic medical records. Are they perfect? No, they're not. And you talk to any practitioner and they'll talk about pain points. So, so it would suggest to me that we're not there yet, right? We're gonna continue to iterate, but we've implemented that change. And so the next piece is, what can the data tell us? What can we learn about what's working and what's not working? In the past, it was a lot of intuition. It was a lot of, let me figure out what, how this is working, if it's working. It was a lot of hiring very expensive consultants to come in and give opinions. I would argue that the data already contains a lot of those insights and we're gonna use the data to inform what's working and what's not working and then we'll you know, double down on those things that are working. Yeah. So let's talk about consumers. You've got a consumer tech background. You know this space very, very well. How do you see the role of a healthcare consumer evolving over the next handful of years? I see a consumer that's much more proactive in their healthcare decisions. In the past, we were bystanders in some ways. We were passive consumers of healthcare services. But wearables, as just one example, are empowering us to have much greater transparency and visibility into our current healthcare status. Down to the, the minute, down to the second, we can know, for example, what our you know, heart rate is or what some other metrics are. And we're monitoring that. We're looking at that. We're educating ourselves as consumers about what's good and what's bad. And so I think we come to the healthcare service a better informed consumer or we have the ability to be a better informed consumer. That will take also some time, some education. I think that's where the healthcare industry can accelerate that process because it's in everyone's interest to have a more informed consumer, to have a consumer that's making proactive decisions that will improve the healthcare outcome so that we aren't just seeing patients when they have something wrong, right? We can work through them and take a very holistic approach to their healthcare needs. I, I think that's what we're gonna start to see from some of the consumer tech. Also, if you think about what technology does, it, it moves from an expensive resource to an inexpensive one. And as it moves to an inexpensive resource, we can deploy it widely. A lot of these technologies early on were very expensive and the only place you could find them was in a hospital and they were shared across every domain within healthcare. Right. And they would come to the hospital to take advantage of these type of technologies. Even something as simple as adjustable beds really were 
you know, only available in hospitals in the early days. Over time, that technology gets less expensive. We can start to deploy it widely. We can start to move it outside of the hospital. We can, you know, distribute that technology. And I would argue wearables has done a lot of that. It's taken services that historically were only available in the hospital and distributed that to the consumers. So it, in that way, it changes the healthcare industry. It changes the services they're performing. Uh, you can imagine that in the future, we won't go and be weighed at the start of every visit like we are today because we'll already have that information. It'll already be tied to our electronic medical records. We may also be able to bypass some of these other procedures that are being done at home or being done in remote ways. And so it, again, kind of starts to change what's happening. Sure. We're seeing this blending of consumer technologies with lots of industries where they used to be very separate paths. You had a consumer television, a consumer radio, but it didn't interact with really any other industry. And we're seeing that collision now take place with healthcare. Yeah, no, it makes, it makes a ton of sense. I always am baffled that I have to go see a physician who's gonna put me on a scale, run a blood pressure cuff, and then pat me on the butt and send me out the door. It seems like a crazy staff resource to do a, a pretty trivial exercise. And I think migrating that to home is, has huge potential both for patient engagement and activation, but also um, you know downstream outcomes. Well, and here's the other thing is, we only get that done when we visit the doctor. So there's no timeline of, has this improved? Has it gotten worse? The wave. You can only look at what is it now and what was it the last time you visited? And if you hadn't visited that doctor, that practitioner, then you may not have that historical information. But now we can capture that in real time. We can capture that in continuous time. That's one of the things that digitization really empowers is this continuous capture of information and continuous capture of data. Now, the flip side is practitioners have to figure out how do I consume all this data? What do I do with all of this data? How do I make sense of all this data? And how do I integrate it into ultimately what I'm trying to accomplish here, which is a positive health outcome? And so the, I think that's one of the great challenges today for practitioners is figuring out how do I continue to be a doctor that cares for patients while at the same time being a data scientist who can consume all of this information that's coming from a tremendous amount of sources. Sure. It isn't just what's happening in the hospital, but all of these external sources are bringing data to give me a, a full picture of that patient. Yeah, completely. And to your point on the sort of incremental innovation and the speed of innovation, I remember wearables, big buzzword, you know, a handful of years ago, and they were glorified pedometers, right? Step counters. Right. Uh, sure. And that didn't seem to me to be terribly helpful in managing polychronic uh, uh, patients, but now to your point, uh, they've evolved considerably and there's heart rate monitors and glucose monitors and all that. All of those capabilities that I think are very transformative in how you think about managing multiple chronic conditions. Yeah, and one of the things that's gonna happen is as Patients can self-select into what they monitor, how they monitor, as we can do more monitoring outside of the healthcare system, but still capture reliable information. Because I would also argue early on, it wasn't reliable information. Mm -hmm. It was inconsistent information, right? And so as we get better data, better information, what you're also gonna have happen in the healthcare system is that you're gonna spend more of your time, more of your resources treating chronic problems that can't be treated outside of that healthcare environment and that healthcare system, or that can't be easily addressed through a, a virtual experience. And so the burden on healthcare system is going to increase 
at the same time that technology decreases it in certain ways. And so we need to really think through what are the second order effects of all of this technology? What are the second order effects of all of this data becoming available to us? And how do we think about what the industry looks like moving forward. Yeah, well, let's talk about one of the second order effects because we are creating a massive wave of data that never existed before. We talk about data exhaust, right? A digital exhaust. Yeah. As each of us exists, there is a huge wave of bits flying behind us. And some of that can be very useful for managing care, if that can be piped in. You talk about how difficult it might be for a provider to make sense of that, to consume that exhaust. But there's another question about ownership of that data. This is highly valuable information in the market. You have interesting conversations with this data being packaged up and resold. And I'm just curious how you think and how other industries have thought about this problem of, of data ownership. I think that's one thing that we're all working through right now is does the data, is it owned and controlled by the organization that helped you capture it? Is it owned by the individual? Can there be joint ownership? Can I, as the individual, share that information with other people? I think the other big challenge there is what data is meaningful? So right now we're capturing a lot of data because we don't know for sure what's going to be meaningful in the future. I think there's a lot of external data that isn't even about me as an individual, but could be useful and helpful to the healthcare system. So something like air quality, that is data that is increasingly being captured, but it isn't yet really feeding into the healthcare system. So if I was able to capture air quality in my home, in my neighborhood, in the area where I lived, do I want that information to be part of my electronic medical records? I think I do. And then can that help the healthcare system make better informed uh, decisions? So I think we're gonna work through who owns the data, how it can be used, and more importantly, we're gonna to start to feed a lot more data into these systems. Data is ultimately the fuel that feeds artificial intelligence, AI, and when we get to that point, we can make, you know, one of the great things that AI does is it makes prediction inexpensive. It makes prediction cheap. So we can start to do predictive analytics or predictive everything at scale. And, and that has tremendous potential. Already we're seeing predictive analytics at scale in places like online retail. It will come to every industry. It's going to come to healthcare. And I think that there's great promise there. Well, let's, you mentioned data being the fuel and you look at somebody like Google who has taken advantage of a massive amount of data that they capture on every user through their search history and browser history. And that has given them a, a, an immense competitive advantage in building out AI and ML. And I think we are now asking the question in that space of, of browser history, um, a search, social media history, if that's generating all of this revenue for, for tech giants, do the, the, the users, the creators of that data, do they, do they get a cut? I know that some, you live on the Hill, there's conversation about policy related to that. I'm curious both your, your commentary on that one problem and then if you think that might have trickle down effects on healthcare data, which is uh, analogous but different. Yeah, I think what you see is individual data you know, just my browser history isn't really that valuable. What's valuable is the aggregated data, data across millions and millions of users, you know, and millions of observations, millions of days of observations. That's when the data really becomes valuable. But I do think there are business models that people are starting to explore today that looks at, let's compensate these users 
for their attention, essentially, for their time, and let's compensate them in some way for their data. And so you are starting to see that. We already have that in, in some ways. Retailers you know, often compensate you for your time and attention, for your data. Uh, loyalty programs across every industry sure. are essentially compensation for your time and attention and, and your data. The hope is that you also are getting a better service as a result of that. You're getting you know, delivered better goods as a result of that. We're not there yet, and all of us have seen when you search for one thing, and then all of a sudden those advertisements follow you around the internet, whether you've already bought it or not. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that will get better uh, over time. When you look at the healthcare industry, I think that you know there are rules and regulations that are going to govern some of that data, but there is a great opportunity as we look at that data in aggregate, as we remove the individual from that data, can we improve healthcare outcomes for a community, sure. for a city, for a state, for a country? I think there's a, a great opportunity there, and I hope that we find great uses of that data to uh, improve health outcomes more broadly. Sure, yeah. I want to talk about the, the challenge of measurement. So we talk about using this data to inform decision-making, but ultimately, we also use it to measure measure outcomes and measure effectiveness. And you're an economist and you understand very well that by defining what you measure, you create incentive packages and that changes human behavior. So I don't know if you want to riff a little bit on, on measurement in healthcare and how that might evolve as the quantity and breadth of data uh, changes. I think you hit on it right there. As we have more data, we can look at a variety of metrics that we haven't even considered in the past. And, and I would argue this is playing out in every industry. We use very broad measures because that was the extent that our, our data would enable and would allow. As we get more finite data, as we get more granular data, we can have more granular metrics. And, and again, when you think about predictive analytics, that's really what we're doing is rather than have these broad predictions, we're able to get very small predictions. I look at a, a company like IBM, they bought the Weather Channel. And people say, why did they buy the Weather Channel? Well, they got access to all of that historical data. And one of IBM's goals with all of that data is to produce real-time weather forecasts for areas as small as three-mile radiuses. So you think about what does weather do for a restaurant's attendance? What does weather do for a retail's visits? You can start to feed all of this external data that has nothing to do with the store or the restaurant into their predictive models to help them understand what should I order today? What should I stock today? Everything becomes variable, everything becomes dynamic. And so you're gonna be able to really adjust, again, kind of the service that you're delivering. When I look at healthcare, if I think about a hospital, there's a tremendous amount of data there that isn't about an individual and isn't being captured today. CCTVs, for example, most hospitals have these uh, set up. That's all data that can all be turned into data. Which areas of the hospital were the busiest at which times of the day? Now, should we be moving certain services like food services into those areas of the hospital? In the past, we thought about all of this as a fixed asset. I've got a cafeteria. That's where everybody goes to eat. You know, if they don't want to uh, to go there, tough luck. This is the only place to go. Sure, sure, yeah. and you might have to work across the hospital to get there. But if you think about everything becoming fungible, everything becoming variable and flexible and adaptive, then you could start to move food services in smaller ways to areas of the hospital that are the busiest. You already know that intuitively, 
but the data that we're capturing can let us know that uh, with some level of precision. Yeah, no, it's very, it's very astute. And there, hospitals have, you know, asset tracking for for the expensive things. Understand right. who's going, you know, in and out, uh, and and for liability. But even just thinking of CCTV, which to your point, it's just data. It's pixels on a screen that can be mapped into an algorithm uh, and inform all of the things you're talking about: um, capacity planning, scheduling, etc. And that can help with profitability. Sure. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is provide better health outcomes at lower cost. And so, I think the healthcare industry maybe even more than any other industry, feels that friction at a, a very strong level, trying to deliver the best care at the lowest cost. So are there ways that we can improve the outcome, improve the financial performance of, a, of the healthcare system, at the same time delivering a better good? And I think there are. I think there are great opportunities for that. Well, let's talk about that. So I, I, uh, you and I spoke a little bit earlier. We, we know that as a healthcare organization, we're operating at a higher cost than we ought to be. Right, we know we're about here, we need to get to about here. But in order to make that transition from high cost uh, to low cost, it's not linear. It requires some sort of catalytic energy applied to it to enable state change. And that's all well and good, but the healthcare industry is incredibly strapped right now. The pandemic has been uh, ongoing for 18 months. Definitely. There's a tremendous amount of provider burnout. Patients are disengaged. So how do you think about applying that type of catalytic energy to an industry that is feeling so burned out? Yeah, I think that it is certainly a challenge. You know, and again, I think it's something that every organization will probably look at a little differently. I think ultimately it is driven by leadership. And I think the leadership of every organization in every industry, certainly in healthcare, has to start to think about these problems differently. Mm -hmm. They have to be data first, if you will. And we, you hear that in the technology world where they're mobile first. And Google recently announced they're going to be AI first. What we need to see from the healthcare industry is that they're going to become analytics first. They're going to become data first and uh, try to marry the patient outcome and the quality that they're trying to perform with the data that is available so that they can produce the quality that they want at the cost that they need to achieve. Sure. I want to I talk now about incentives. Um, so a number of our customers that you've met today at the conference are engaged in value-based care or some sort of modular contracting arrangement that changes the incentives uh, for a provider organization. You've worked with a tremendous amount of industries going through you know, large-scale changes. You're an economist. You understand the power of incentives. Can you, do you have some examples of where healthcare could learn about applying incentives uh, in different ways to achieve different outcomes? Yeah, I think this is a, you know, a great point. And again, some of the incentives have become reinforced because of the way that the industry is structured or because of regulation in the industry. So we need to look at everything from the ground up and, and look at what incentives are being created and are these the incentives that we want? Mm -hmm. uh, and importantly, I think we, we mentioned it already, but these second order effects that right. start to kick in when you start to adjust the incentives. So it isn't enough to just look at how one thing changes, the direct impact of those change, but you need to look beyond that and look at, okay, virtual visits, for example. If we pay a different amount for virtual visits, we're gonna end up with a different outcome. Is that good or is that bad? We probably do want to be delivering virtual visits at a lower cost, but does that then change the incentive structure for the provider, for the doctor or, or the team? And it probably does. So how do we overcome that? I think, for example, in the future, we will probably have telemedicine as a specialty. You'll have doctors who say, 
I love practicing medicine. I want to do it virtually. I don't want to meet with patients. I don't want to, my bedside manner is horrible or whatever it is. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to specialize in virtual visits. They're going to become very good at virtual visits because you know, we know that whatever you specialize in, you become good at it and you become often better than others at it. And so there's an opportunity there to segment the population, to segment the, the patients, let them self-select where they want to go. And so you can produce, again, better outcome at a lower cost. All of the, the data will help drive some of that decision. And we're gonna have to look at those second order effects because as we start to change things, we'll create different incentives. And so we need to look at, are these still aligned with the type of outcomes that we sure. want to achieve. Sure, and that's and that to me is where uh, data comes in and is, is fundamentally essential. We've gone through different steps of reform and change in, in healthcare. And if you try to reduce costs in healthcare, one of the great ways to do it is to provide poor care, not right. ration care. And, and you can't go through that unless you have the data to measure the quality and the outcomes uh, of that care against the population. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and that's why I think the organization will need to think about things differently. It'll take a different type of leadership than we've had in the past that will have to look at data and incorporate it and balance. There's a lot of balance in looking at what we're trying to achieve. And sometimes these feel like goals that are in massive conflict, low cost, but high quality. And I think that actually data is very well positioned to help us get there. Yeah. Well, Sean, we got a lot of work to do. Uh, thanks, thanks a lot for your time today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Great to be here with you.